This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're going to have two shows, one running today on Wednesday and one on Friday. Uh, For our first interview, we're going to be joined by Brian Bassett. Uh, we're going to talk with him in a couple minutes. Brian, longtime owner of the Jets blog, and is also currently running a podcast for us that comes out every Saturday that is awesome over on the Play Like a Jet feed. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Jets' current regime and how we think they're going to handle some prospective offseason changes, uh, along with discuss a little bit about what we're going to expect over the final six games. And we are now joined by today's guest, multiple-time friend of the pod, Brian Bassett, also now has his own pod cranking out every single week. Uh, how's it been to be back the past few weeks? <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun. It's certainly a learning experience. Uh, sitting in the host seat is a little different. Not used to corralling others. I was used to Corey corralling me. But it's been enjoyable uh, working and just having the chance to talk with good friends about the Jets and kind of laugh about stupid stuff because in a season like this, if you're not laughing, you're crying as far as I'm concerned. That is very well said. And everybody, of course, make sure to hop on the uh, Play Like a Jet feed so you can subscribe and get those updates. The episodes have mostly been coming out Saturdays. Uh, definitely don't want to miss those. Tell me this past Sunday. I So I had the opportunity to go to the game. I got four tickets. Mm. I also got four fa- passes to go on the field before the game. And I... Once I found out Darnold was not playing, myself, my father, my uncle and cousin all made a unanimous decision that we were not going to subject ourselves to that. This, of course, turned out to be a wise decision. <laughs> is that yes. is that as bad as it's been in this recent era? And I'll call this recent era since the they lost to the Patriots in the divisional game in 2010, this eight-year drought. Is that as bad or the worst it's been? It sure feels like it. I mean, maybe in the waning days of Rex Ryan, it, it would match this, uh, mostly because his rhetoric just rarely let up and he just continued swinging and wildly making assertions that he he and his team could not back up. But to basically see the Jets' offense you know, be an abject failure two weeks ago against the Dolphins, which, who are not a great team, and then to basically say, well, it's the Buffalo Bills. It's one of the worst offenses of all time. Uh, how, how could this get worse? And they bring in Matt Barkley, who I actually respect and think he's a better player than NFL seems to give him credit for. I don't expect he's going to go on a tear or anything between now and the end of the season. But, but regardless, this is a team, this is a easy win on the calendar and you can't even get these games you know that's the kind of troubling stuff and then right you're landing that two those two losses divisionally going into a bye so there's two weeks of just noise and dread and then the thought of oh yeah and by the way when they come off the bye they get the patriots their first game against the patriots of the season like you look at the rest of the calendar i don't even know if there's any winnable games at this point from what i've seen from this team on the schedule, there is none that jump off the page. Five of their remaining six games right. are against teams who are 500 or better. They also play in Buffalo, which is certainly never easy, especially after what we just saw. Could be, you know, 
four and twelve, three and thirteen. Top three, four pick is definitely on the table. Uh, I think a lot of us thought this team could, you know, six, seven wins. But these last two games, when you lose to Brock Osweiler and you lose to Matt Bar- lose to Matt Barkley, that obviously mm-hmm. changes the trajectory of everything. So it's a foregone conclusion now at this point that Todd Bowles is going to be fired. I was not surprised they did not fire him over the bye week. My There's a couple operating theories on why this is the case. You tell me which of these three are the most accurate or potentially, maybe it's all of them or a part of all of them. My first two thoughts, thoughts are Chris Johnson doesn't have the authority to make this decision and Woody's too far removed right now to make that type of somewhat rash in-season move. Second, the front office is urging the stability. We don't want to mess with Darnold mind because the second Todd Bowles is out the door, everyone's favorite scapegoat, and rightfully so, he's been very bad. The magnifying glass goes to the front office and the general manager, who I think has been equally poor. Or another operating theory, which came from our friend uh, Drew from Jersey on Twitter, basically that this not firing him now keeps McCagnan and Bowles on a level plane as like a package deal, and they haven't made a decision yet, and they do not want to set up the offseason as McCagnan's leading the team into the offseason. So basically they haven't made a decision on him yet, so they don't want to fire one without the other because they're either going to keep both or fire both. What do you think it is? I think that there is... I don't know if there's any one of those because I think there's there's validity in all of those things. First off, let's talk about Chris Johnson, right? So let's just start there. That that's where you started. Does Chris Johnson have firing authority, as Kitty uh, Sanchez would say in Arrested Development? You don't have firing authority. I don't think he has firing authority. He hasn't demonstrated it. But is it in keeping with the Woody Johnson regime? Yes, absolutely. But I think. There is supposed to be this division between Woody Johnson and the organization. So, right, I think they are going to consult him behind the scenes, back channel, whatever's, you know, to keep it from from him getting in trouble with the league or whatever. But I, I, I do not think he has that authority. And so as a result the firing wasn't made. At the same time, you talk about this idea of McCagnan having bulls in place allows him this human shield, right? Like, so that's your second theory. That certainly does play itself out. If you're going to fire bull, if you're not going to fire bulls, then, right, there's no reason to, you know, if you're McCagnan, my understanding is unless things have changed, both of those two people operate independently of each other, right? They are both... Uh, they were picked and hired by management, by um, you know, the president of the of the organization, uh, by the member the member the great think tank of Ron Wolf and Charlie Casserly and the I can't remember the name of the executive search firm who's terrible uh, who Corn basically Ferry. brought the what oh Torn Ferry thank you thank you yes so so you know that's the organization you know, that made this decision, and the operating assumption we were under was that they are independent of each other. Now, maybe that's changed, but but in in my understanding, one does not have influence over the other. Uh, so, so McCagnan, even if he wanted to fire him or whatever, right, it certainly behooves McCagnan to keep him there. So that's your second thought. And then the the idea of, like, is it a package deal, which is pretty, pretty brilliant, and Drew always has good ideas, which is why I follow him on Twitter, but the... The thought there is right. It gives them the ability to hit the reboot button on both of these guys in the off season, and maybe that's where you're going with this, which is to say, 
I would love it if they hit the reboot button on both of these guys. The one thing I will say, I understand he's not fired and he won't be fired, Todd Bowles. If you fire him, it does allow the team to basically say to any, to, to signal the coaches, hey, this is a team that's right, you know, someone someone could come in and, and coach this organization to right the ship here uh, and allows that to happen. Obviously, those back channels are happening anyway, um, but it, it makes it a very clear indication to that. And then on the second you know, I don't think Jeremy Bates is the next head coach of this team, but it, it allows us to basically get Todd Bowles and his coaching decisions out of the picture to see whether the problem is Jeremy Bates or not. I still think he's a problem, but it would at least allow them to make that decision kind of, quote unquote, in a vacuum with Bowles not leaning on the offense. Yeah. I don't, you know, clearly the distributed media talking point was stability, Darnold's development, like literally six different people tweeted it at once from Ian Rappaport to Samini to Madden. Yeah, 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 that's not, that's not um, the PR organization or, you know, you know, someone inside the organization just floating that out to multiple people, right? Like when you see six people coming out with the same story, like, I know how this works. You know how this works. You've been privy to some of those, uh, you know, phone calls or whatever from the organization. That's how that works. Exactly. There, there's very careful with this front office media work done. That's you know, it, to their credit, for their job security, has been smart and shielded them from a lot of criticism. And you're just starting to see some cracks in it now, where people are actually looking at the lack of talent on this roster. Because in my mind, it's a foregone conclusion that Bulls is not good enough to maintain this job and is a bad coach. That's fine. Um, But when people start taking a closer look at this front office, uh, I'm curious to see how it holds up to more scrutiny. I would still say, you asked me today, I'd say 80 to 90% Bulls is fired. I'd even call it 90%. Mm -hmm. I would say 20% McCagnet is fired, but if you would have asked me that three weeks ago, I would have said 5%. Where do you see those percentages at? I think you're about right. Maybe McCagnin, the the heat is under him a little bit more than than you indicated there. But I'm, I mean, I don't know. We don't have the time to go through all. We can do this on another one to go through all of the McCagnin, uh, you know, moves or kind of underwhelming moves. Whether it's uh, how he's drafted, how he's approached free agency you know, those kinds of things, how he's kind of shopped and, you know, jettisoned, you know, former first round picks out of this organization. Um, I just, I, I wanted to give him a shot and I've seen enough to say, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it and I'm ready to move on. But my fear Joe, is what are they going to move on to? Are they going to move on to another first-time GM who's, you know, a uh, cocoon NFL film-grinding scouting industrial complex echo chamber GM, another one? Or are they going to find someone who's doing more inventive uh, analysis of players and actually kind of pushing the envelope of finding you know, those small marginal gains that wind up helping the organization over the long term. If they hire a new coach, 
are they going to find someone who is another first-time head coach, former defensive coordinator, who is going to run a vanilla offense and not take shots on fourth down or be aggressive? You know, or are they going to break this cycle of abuse, you know, for fans and actually bring in someone who's working on the innovative rather than the reactive side of the football? And that's obviously the offense. It's a great question because we really don't know where this decision would come from. When they hired Idzik, it was ran through the consulting firm Corn Ferry, and they didn't get their top candidate because they refused to part ways with Rex Ryan. And top candidates didn't want to be stuck to have to work with him, and that hurt them in that process. Second time around, which I would say a step in the right direction, they did clean house with both guys, but they hired Casserly, they hired Wolf, and they set up this weird reporting structure where these guys operate in a silo. Um, and, you know, these guys were both, you know, considered pretty strong candidates at the time. They weren't these like, crazy names out of left field, which Idzik was to an extent. I think, you know, you risk going forward. If you keep the GM, you could potentially lose out on some top coaching candidates who don't want to come in to a front office that was already there and is going to be on a different timetable and be held at different standards and have a different potential reporting structure. But who is making this decision? Like, who is Woody met in London or hanging out with Trump in this administration that he's going to lean on for feedback? Is it Chris Johnson? Are they going to work with the NFL for further consulting? And like you said, it seems that they always default to, well, we'll take, we'll take the popular name of coordinator. Maybe this time it's an offensive coordinator because of Darnold. Those guys are a crapshoot. You have no idea if those skills translate to being a head coach if you go get Matt LaFleur John, you know, DeFilippo, or all these other names that are popular out there. I mean, what what kind of candidate do you ultimately think they would end up with, and who do you think the Jets would be leaning on? Uh, sorry, as far as a coach or a or a GM, I guess or both. both or either. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly think that the potential in-house candidate would be Brian Heimerdinger, right? He, he makes the most sense. If you're going to hire somebody from inside the organization, it would be Heimerdinger. He's young. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he comes from an NFL coaching family, so there's probably more um, traditional processes that he's following. But, again, I haven't really done much research on him to, to know that better. Uh, as far as the person who's who, – and then in terms of outside the organization, like, they always float these people who never – come and so that's like I can't remember their names right now but like the assistant GM in Baltimore they always float his name and he's never interested because he's going to take Ozzie Newsom's job next year they always float the guy from Cincinnati who I can't think of who's quite I would say who's quite good at um, personnel uh, but he he's not interested because he's kind of this de facto GM without a name and then they always float um, again another similar person like that in Minnesota and that guy is never interested. And so, so like those would be the people that I would be most interested in them bringing in. Um, and again, sorry, I don't have the names, but I'll <laughs> try and look them up and put them on Twitter after we're done here. But the, those would be the people that would be most interesting to me, but I would love it if they actually went outside of the whole structure. I would love it if they went to an organization like uh, Fantasy Labs or Rotaviz or like one of these organizations that's actually doing innovative, interesting stuff, but that'll never happen, right? There'll never be a Sashi Brown type person hired by uh, the Jets. That's, that's not going to happen. And then on the head coaching side, I know the big name is John D. Filippo, and I know uh, Flip has some 
ties to New Jersey, so that is maybe potentially interesting. But if I'm John Filippo and I'm working with Adam Thielen, and I'm working with Kirk Cousins, and I'm working with Stephon Diggs, and I'm working with Dalvin Cook, uh, why am I leaving that organization for the Jets? Um, that, he could get a better job if he goes another year or two there. So whatever they offer him has to be a lot. Um, for him to, to jump. I mean, I certainly think some of the people, you know, kind of the quarterbacks coach for the Rams has been out there, Zach Taylor, and there's a couple other uh, folks like LaFleur for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, for me inside the NFL, those would be the names I'd like them to start considering. Uh, but then also, you know, you've got the, the college ranks. Everybody's talking about Lincoln Riley. I'm not so sure. I'm potentially interested, but I, I kind of need to be talked into that. And then, um, you know, Matt Rule's a name that comes up from Baylor, but I, I, I know he's had some time in the NFL. So I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm troubled by who's out there and ultimately it comes down to can they actually get the best option because all this kind of second second fiddle stuff which has kind of happened for the jets over the last three coaching hires they've made it's not worked out so i'm not saying give a a john gruden style contract here but they got to do more than they've been doing and if they're going to hire someone who's not had head coaching experience um they'd be better going outside the box than just kind of, you know, keeping the inertia going of, of the same, the same pattern that they seem to follow. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the reality is that if I had to make a prediction of what I think is going to happen, they're probably going to get one of these GM names that we've heard previously who doesn't get one of the other top jobs and they'll probably go with a popular coordinator name. They don't seem likely to take a big swing. Uh, a creative outside-of-the-box swing would be, like, elevating Heimerdinger to, like, a, a more prominent role and then, like, hiring, like, Sashi from the Browns, which they would never do. That, but, like, oh, that would be so amazing if they brought Sashi back from the dead. I would love that. Because, I mean, if you look at the organization that Sashi Brown built and John Dorsey is systematically, like, dismantling, like, he's basically, joint, like, you know, just chopping this organization apart at the joints, throws away Josh Gordon, throws away Corey Coleman, who is obviously trouble, you know, brings in Antonio Callaway, who is horrendous, brings in the ultimate, you know, fake alpha receiver, uh, Jarvis Landry. Uh, it, like, the, the people that they have brought in under Dorsey is an embarrassment, and basically he is criminally ruining what what Sashi was setting up and didn't get the chance to um, to follow through with. So, so I, w- I would love that. I think that would be amazing. Um, sorry, I, I totally <laughs> ranted there for a second. No, no. I mean, I think but, that's but, like the kind of outside yeah. the box thing that you got. You still got your personnel guy with Heimerdinger, but then you have someone who's going to think outside the box uh, with Sashi. And then from a head coaching standpoint. I want to hire some. I, this sounds like cliche. I know it's easier said than done. I want to hire someone who's been a head coach before. If John Harbaugh, Shakespeare, go get John. Oh Harbaugh. my God! Yeah, go get John Harbaugh. If, if for some reason um, Baltimore uh, does not want to bring back John Harbaugh, go get him. Run, do not walk to get John Harbaugh because he's the kind of coach that you need in this organization, and he has the cachet to bring in solid coordinators. Now, you know, 
does has it been a little bit hit or miss over the years? He's had Tressman, he's had uh, Mortenwig, but you look at what he's done with that organization um, coming out of the Brian Billick era, right? I guess, yeah, Brian Billick era. I love it, and I would love him to be part of this organization. Is he, um, you know, Doug Peterson or Sean McVay? No, but he's a, a, a time-tested coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He knows how to get on the right side of things, and he's basically been held hostage by Joe Flacco, uh, you know, for the last four years. Absolutely. And he's not a perfect candidate. There's no such thing as a perfect candidate, but you know he can be a head coach. You know he knows how to build a staff. You know he knows how to handle that role. And if it's not going to be him, because he's going to be the top candidate available with that level of experience, maybe you look at the co- at, at the collegiate level for someone who's been a head coach. I know once the options get kind of thin once you get past the big bright names of a Lincoln Riley or Matt Campbell's becoming a popular name as well. I just worry the coordinator route, it is such a different job being a coordinator than it is being a head coach. You game plan, you call plays. It's completely different than complete game management, hiring a staff, dealing with the media, dealing with the front office, being involved in scouting. It's a completely different job, which is why I just, when people say they have no interest in someone like Harbaugh, who is a proven, successful, Super Bowl winning coach, who has still been productive despite dealing with Flacco's crappiness, I don't get it. And I think Cleveland will be in the market for him. I think Dallas could be in the market for him, and they must, they may also just give a blank check to Lincoln Riley. So I don't, I mean, what are the Jets? The best case, the third or fourth most enticing option for a head coach? Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, and then also just to, one more thing for, for Harbaugh. The Ravens, Ozzie Newsom is, is definitely losing his fastball because he drafted Hayden Hurst ahead of Lamar Jackson. If you're if you're drafting a tight end before a guy like Lamar Jackson, who, I mean, granted, you know, props, they got him at the end of the first round, but, like, why are you wasting a pick on a guy who wasn't even the consensus top tight end in this class in the first round? Like, so... It has been unwinding slowly in Baltimore, and I'll tell you this, John Harbaugh is not the problem there. He is not the problem. So, so yeah, I'm with you. I definitely would appreciate them going after a tested guy, but I also don't want to retread. Like, I've seen, I was, you know, on Advanced Media today, and I saw a name that come, came up was Jim Schwartz. Would you want Jim Schwartz to be the head coach of this team? Oh, my God. I just, like, I know there's, like, this, like, buzz for him, but I just, I... Man. No, no. <laughs> the answer is no. Fine, be a coordinator. Like there are coaches who are great in this era as coordinators, and let them be coordinators, right? And so, like that's been one of the most maddening thing with Todd Bowles is the fact that when he was running the defense, the defense was pretty good. Now, were they maybe more talented? Yes. And then while um, uh, Casey Rogers, you know, had to step away from the team for a couple weeks, uh, you know, I think, I think. Todd Bowles did a good job coaching the defense. But the problem is when you're a head coach and you're better at a coordinator spot and then you have to give up the thing that you're good at and then and the thing that you give up that you're good at, uh, you're not doing and someone's doing a worse job than you are and then you're having negative influence in the other side of the football, making bad decisions, making, you know, risk-averse decisions. Like, now it's even, it just, it's all worse. And so, like, I think... One of the things that I've come to the realization of in the last couple of years is like there's a lot of coach worship. I don't know how else to call it, like coach worship in, in the NFL among fans. And like at the end of the day, like if you're gonna worship the coach, 
you are going to be judged as righteous or damned by that coach, right? And so, like, I am very much a believer in I want a coach who's going to not hamper, maybe that's the best way, who's, like, there are some coaches that are that are actively helping their organization, like a Bill Belichick, like a um, Sean McVay. Uh, you know, I don't know. We could name off a number of them. Um, there are coaches who are actively mm, endangering their team or hampering the success of their team. Uh, you know, like Todd Bowles and and others. Uh, and so, I mean, think about think about um, Adam Gase. Like he was this you know, person that we revered a couple of years ago, because why? Because he, he was the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning who ran his own offense. Like, good job. Like you, you ran an offense, you let Peyton Manning run his own offense. And so, so my, my whole point here, Joe, is just to say that I would much rather have a coach who stays out of the way than a coach who's going to actively inflict bad decision on on this team and so like that's why i keep coming back to john harbaugh because i think that's the kind of coach he is he's going to stay out of the way um even if he's not necessarily helping he's at least a neutral not a negative i agree and it's kind of crazy but you know here we are three and a half years later after the whole 2014 circus with the billboards and the planes and the mid-season press conference and Rex tanking on the way out with all the different leaks and everything and it really I think this was the final nail in the coffin of this regime I don't know if they follow through and do the full clean out that they need to I hope they do but I'm not counting on it happening and if it doesn't happen you got to hope that you fall blindly into a Ram situation where a new coaching staff helps up level uh, a front office but this McCagnan bowls duo strategy narrative has not worked and if they do keep McCagnan you will start to see the leaks and the groundwork being laid that all this was Todd Bowles fault and you know the first rebuild 2015 and 2016 that's Woody Johnson's fault he forced McCagnan to spend 2017 and 2018 they tried to do a new rebuild that was Todd Bowles fault he couldn't execute now they get a third rebuild with the new coaching staff and if they're not winning next year I'm sure the the talking line is going to be well it's a year one of a new staff and a new system we need to be patient, and at a certain point, five, six, seven years, uh, it's a lot of time. So let, let's hope the Jets mm-hmm. make the changes. Brian, appreciate your time. As they near towards making these changes, I'm sure we'll definitely talk again. Uh, any final sign-off words? No, that's it. Thank you. I appreciate you, Joe. appreciate all you do. And, uh, yeah, listen to the Play Like a Jet feed. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be posting something, some kind of bi-week fun in the next couple of days, so keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. Everyone make sure to subscribe to that Play Like a Jet feed on iTunes and Google Play so you can listen to all that goodness that will be coming and make sure to follow follow Brian on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We will be back tomorrow, actually, with a new show. We're going back to back, so make sure you're subscribed.